Good morning, good morning. Breakfast and today's class is sponsored and dedicated in loving memory, Lilui Nishmat Huta Bat Esther, Alea Shalom, sponsored by Tamar Megidish. As well, uh, it is uh, dedicated and sponsored in loving memory of Eliza Agami, Alea Shalom, Lilui Nishmat, Aliza Sarabat Farha, sponsored by her son Isaac Agami, or Ajami. As well, breakfast in the class is dedicated and thanks to the esteemed rabbis and their staff for taking care of us with their wisdom, guidance, and patience. May they go from strength to strength in keeping our Jewish values and faith strong and unwavering. Sponsored by the Mafar family. Hazaku Baruch. Breakfast in the class is dedicated in loving memory. Lili Nishmat Kadia Bat Mazal. Shalom. Sponsored by her daughters, the Shika family or Chika family. And finally, breakfast in the class is dedicated in honor of Rabbi Fari's words of Torah that they protect all of Am Yisrael, sponsored by the Defunis family. Thank you so much, that's very beautiful. I really appreciate it. Rabutai, um, many different uh, holidays pass us by, and the opportunity to grab what we were supposed to grab from the holiday is missed. And sometimes that happens simply because we weren't aware or we weren't present enough to be able to think to ourselves, what am I supposed to be taking from this Chag? And that's a big tragedy if one was to think about it, because ultimately, um, when you think about what the holidays are supposed to do, the holidays are supposed to give us certain gifts that we take with us past the holidays. So after Pesach, a person is supposed to have the feeling of freedom permeate throughout their year. After Sukkot, they're supposed to have the feelings of Emunah permeate throughout the year. Uh, after Rosh and Kippur, Kapara, etc., etc. Could you imagine if the, the gift that you got for the holiday was limited to the time of year that you've got. So what it's, what's very important is to be able to go through elements of the holiday um, before the Hag is uh, present and uh, in your midst so that when you, set, when you set up your holiday achievements and you're, you're keeping score, you're making sure to take with you uh, that which you can. Rabbi Tai said the question is, what are we supposed to be learning and taking with us on Chanukah? And of course, there's multiple messages, layer upon layer. And I think each person um, winds up taking very different things from the holidays based on what it is that they need or that they need to be able to, uh, uh, to take in their very own life. So I just wanted to focus on one line in the Gemara with, and share with you what I think is a big chidush. The Gemara says in Shabbat, in Dafchaf Aleph, we'll quote this Gemara many times because it's the only Gemara. The Gemara says, my Chanukah, what is Chanukah? What is it? What is the concept of Chanukah? And it tells us about the fact that the uh, Assyrian Greeks attacked the Jewish people. They took over the land of Israel. They were stopping them from learning Torah. They were trying to forcibly get them to forget the Torah. This was not a physical fight. It was a spiritual uh, it was a spiritual holocaust, an attempt to be able to eradicate from the Jewish people's collective memory such mitzvot as Shabbat, as Rosh Chodesh, as Brit Milah, and the punishment for, uh, for giving your child the Brit Milah at the time was not only death for the baby that you had just given circumcision to, but death for the entire family. And many men and women uh, were hung with their children in the squares of Yerushalayim as punishment, as terrible punishment um, for the Brit Milah. And we are taught about the Misirut Nefesh that they gave, that you'd have people that were doing uh, uh, Brit Milah and then eventually jumping off the roof before they got a chance to be killed uh, so that they would, their, their life would be ended on their own terms. A very, very difficult time uh, indeed. 
But the miracle happens when the Hashmonaim, the Maccabees, fight back. And then the end of the Gemara ends and it says as follows. When, the, when they came in, they took all the oil, the timmeu kol shemanim, and they defiled all of the oils. Right? Then the Gemara says, Badeku, after they, they won the war, Badeku umatzeu, they looked and they found only one pach of shemen, only one uh, vial of oil, shehayam munach, uh, they found one vial of oil. Now, does anyone know what that word munach means? Munach means it was laid down, or it was, uh, but specifically that it was placed. It didn't fall, you know, it wasn't missed. It was shaya munach. Okay, in fact, we have this word in the Gemara. In many cases, there's an idea where someone. Uh, uh, there's a disagreement over money, or we have a lack of clarity as to what's supposed to happen. And what do we say? Talmid Chacham is already re- realizing what I'm going for. What does it say in the Gemara? munach ad Eliyahu. The Gemara says literally. That's the expression. munach or munach. It should it should be put to rest, so to speak. It should be put set aside. Now, to me, this is very interesting. Because those words, baduk, right, that would they checked velo matzau, they found one pach shemen shehayam munach that it was placed. Now my question is, did the kohen gadol take one vial of oil, put his seal on it, and put it aside? Did the kohen gadol do that? He didn't do that. Simply, he probably would have put however many vials he would have put many of them, right? I want, to th- I want to say a chidush, and I have to see if I could find someone that also says it. If not, it's my own chidush. I want to say, munach, that this one jar of pure oil was placed there, specifically, not by the Kohen Gadol, whose seal was on the bottle, but by the Greeks themselves. They were timeu kol But they took one vial, and they placed that one, and that one was not defiled it was not impure now why would the greeks have done that why would they have taken the bottle not broken the seal rendering it impure like they did to everything else i think rabotai what the greeks were trying to do by leaving them one jar of oil was to give them the opportunity to do something that was very tiny they assumed the greeks assumed that if they'd find one vial of oil then over the eight days that they would, it would take them to get new oil from that's how far away it was, over that, that eight-day period, what would they have done? They would have divided the oil into a small amount every night, and they would have lit a tiny little flame in the window. What the Greeks were trying to do, perhaps, is by causing the idea of Jewish identity to be minimized, to be, to be made small. Now, I want to illustrate this point. Uh, and and uh, let's, we'll take a little history lesson for one second. In ancient kingdoms, when a, uh, a king invaded another country, so they have an option. They could decide to kill the king, right? But invariably throughout history, if you look, you'll see that kings and revolutions, what did they do with the king? They spared him. And what did they do with him specifically? They exiled the king. So as an example, 
Napoleon famously is exiled to the Isle of Elba, famously, okay? But many kings are like this. Why would they exile the king instead of killing him? Well, what's the point of that? Sorry? So maybe, okay, maybe one king had mercy on their own. That would be, wouldn't be a good answer, though, for revolution, because they're not being killed by a king. Someone said once to me, professional courtesy. Right? <laughs> I said, famous joke about three guys fall into the, into the ocean, and uh, one is a doctor, one is a lawyer, one is an accountant. Anyway, the doctor and the accountant get torn apart by a shark in the water. And the lawyer is sitting there swimming, and the shark is circling around him. Anyway, the boat comes up, you know, next to him, and the, they pull the lawyer on board. They say, we don't know, how did you survive? The shark is circling around you nonstop. And the lawyer smiled, and he said, professional courtesy. Anyway, the point is, right, the, the, they have mercy on one of their own. Okay, right? now the idea here is, right, that that's why they didn't kill the king. They didn't kill the king because, um, not because of a professional courtesy, rather, when you killed the king, the reason why you are the king is an act of weakness. That means that if the king was alive, I would be unable to sit on this throne. By exiling the kid, the king, what you say is, I'm here, and in the words of the mask, somebody stop me. Somebody stop me. Nobody could, nobody could bother me. Nobody could trap me. Nobody could uh, stop me from getting on this, uh, on this throne. And the king, he's eating food that I'm sending him. I'm keeping him alive. You hear that? That's why they used to exile kings. It was an element of power. If the, Egypt, if the Greeks had extinguished the lights of the Jews completely, then it would not have been a victory. More than extinguishing them completely, you want them to be able to have something, but have it be pitiful, have it be small, have it be insignificant. Rabotai, we have two choices as Jews. Throughout history, we have illustrated that we can keep and stick to our faith based on what? Based on the fact that we were able to live proudly as Jews. It's a shame to say, but in, in Spain, after the Inquisition, when you had Jewish people go into hiding and they were lighting a little candles, you know, behind the curtains, the Muranos, you know, they outwardly accepted Christianity, but they did some mitzvot, you know, in the basement of the house. They salted meat. They, again, no one is blaming them, but ultimately those families, the Judaism from those families disappeared completely. If you are not loud, if you're not proud of your Judaism, if it doesn't shine, if it's not an expression of tremendous effort and joy and, and pride, it disappears from your family. The Greeks understood that if they wanted the way to do it was not to eliminate it completely, but rather to let them do it, but in a tiny way. Rabotai, I had a young man approach me to tell me, you know, I was in, living in Manhattan. He says, and in Brooklyn, I never wore my kippah. But then one day, I walked out of the synagogue over here on 63rd and 5th. It was Rosh Hashanah. We had just had an amazing prayer. I walked to turn onto Madison Avenue on the holiest day, Rosh Hashanah, right? I feel elevated. I feel cleansed. I feel the shofar. I walked onto, the, onto Madison Avenue, and as I turned onto Madison Avenue, Graf is selling jewelry, right? 
Long Long Champ, I don't know how do you pronounce it, right? Long Champ, right, probably. Just eliminate letters and then you sound classier. Cardi A, right? It's a fantastic thing. Chopin, right? You have all these stores over here in the corners, right, selling beautiful merchandise. People are walking, they're shopping. He said, all of a sudden, I didn't feel Rosh Hashanah. He says, Rabbi, I swear to you, I turned back, I walked back to the shul, I put a kippah on my head. I said, Rochi, first of all, you just had Rosh Hashanah, don't swear. <laughs> right? right? He's, I said, but why? Why did you put the kippah on? Listen to what he said to me. Beautiful. He said, because in Brooklyn, I'm surrounded by synagogues and kolels and yeshivas. You can't walk without remembering that you are Jewish. But if you're on Madison Avenue, even if you just walked out on Rosh Hashanah, you might forget that you're Jewish. You might forget. It's too easy to forget. So I put the kippah on, even though I never put it on in Brooklyn, I put it on in the city because I understood that I had to take my Judaism into my own hands. And if I wanted to feel Jewish, I needed to make that feeling. That feeling was not going to be given to me. Fascinating that. Rabotai, I think that is part of what's we're, what we're learning about over here. We have an opportunity to have something which is really small, right? Lighting a little bit each day, which is what the Greeks wanted. They wanted to give you something so insignificant that even though you had it, it would eventually fade away completely. In response to that, Rabotai, the Chachamim Kovea, they instituted that in every single Jewish home throughout the entire world until the end of time, not only would there be candles that burnt completely like the Chashmonaim did, they lit the candles completely. What was their plan for the second day? For day two? What were they going to do after they ran out of oil? They weren't going to have anything. The answer is better to go out in a blaze of glory. Better to go out with this, with this tremendous... Tomorrow, if I don't have, I don't have. I did what I was supposed to do. Tomorrow I'm going to be an honest, but today I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Rabotai, it's, this, it's about this. It's about wearing a kippah. About being proud out on the street in your business deals that you're Jewish. It breaks my heart, Rabotai, till this day. I play basketball. I mean, I don't play since my injury. I have to get better from that. You know, it's all such a Jewish thing. Like you get a little injury on your pinky. You don't play basketball for like a year. Like, you know, <laughs> in the non-Jewish people, like they break their, they don't have a leg. They're like hopping, doing a layup, right? For us, it's like, oh yeah, yeah my, I, uh, I scratched my nail. I don't, I don't think I could play till next July. <laughs> my doctor says the nail's not going to grow back completely. You know, anyway, so, right? So, but normally when I go play, I, have a, I, I always wear, I, I play with the kippah on. Now, you don't have to pray with, play with the kippah on. You're running, you're sweating. According to many opinions, you don't have to, an obligation to do so or to, pray, or to play with tzitzit on. Okay? I used to play with some big rabbis. Okay? I didn't pray with big rabbis. I played with big rabbis who had unbelievable game, who, play, who played without a kippah. They used to, very lovingly, very respectfully, they would put the kippah and the tzitzit on the side because they're getting completely drenched in sweat and they didn't feel it was kavod. Anyway, so why do I wear a kippah if you don't have to? Uh, when you're playing. I remember once, a long time ago, I was playing ball in the driveway of, uh, of Eddie Batesh in Deal, New Jersey. So when I play ball, I have my, uh, you know, my tank top and my shorts, you know, and I'm playing, and as was the minhag, I took my kippah, my sitsi, put them on the side. Anyway, a guy drives up, 
<coughs> and he about to, he's about to pass, and then he reverses the car. I see he slowed down and reversed the car. He gets out. It's a guy that I know. Okay? Guy walks up. He says, Shlomo. Pulls me to the side. He says, I want you to know, I just drove by. As I was driving by, I saw a bunch of guys. He says, it looked like there were non-Jewish people playing. Goyim were playing on the court of Eddie Batesh. I didn't know if they had permission. So I was going to call either the police or tell them that people were trespassing. He says, but then I recognized you. <laughs> so he said, I don't think he was trying to give me Musar. I think he was just trying to tell me why he stopped, why he this, that. You know, like it was okay, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it broke my heart because I'm so proud of my Judaism. It broke my heart that someone, even if he was driving by at 30 miles an hour, looking out of the corner of his eye, that he should think for one second I wasn't Jewish. I decided then and there, I'm never going to play ball again without a kippah. So that even during those moments, I should be identifiable. I should be recognizable as a Jewish person. What does that mean? And you will place my name on the Jewish people and I will bless them. What does that mean? Now, if God's name is called on the Jewish people, so it's that way, whether which means and you shall place. How does one place God's name upon them? They make themselves identifiable as the Jewish people. You know, the Temanim, they have uh, peot. They have like little peot that kind of come down in the front of the thing. Whether it's curled or not depends on, you know, how you want to swing that day, okay? But that's more stylistic. It doesn't need to be, you know, look like a mattress spring. It can be like how, but, you know, what are the Temanim called peot? They call them simonim, simanim, indicators, signs, something that says this person is Jewish. And when people can see that someone is Jewish, you walk around proud to be Hashem's people, out in the open, shining lights in the window. That's what you're doing. That's what your Judaism is. Va'ani says, God, va'ani avarachem. I will bless them. We should never be afraid to show our Judaism. We should never be afraid or embarrassed uh, to pray, to put on tefillin, you know, sometimes you're in a car, you know, the, the, all of a sudden, Mincha is coming, you got stuck in traffic, you can't pull over on a highway, pray in the car, that's the halakha. Some people tell me I'm embarrassed. Anyway, the other day, I'm sitting there in the car, and in my head, right, in my head I'm thinking to myself, should I wait, it's getting a little bit late, maybe I'll get there on time. All of a sudden, what do I hear from the front of the car? Allah Akbar! Right? The guy had put on, on his phone, his Allahu Akbar. Why? Because it was time to pray. I said, if this guy's putting on his Allahu Akbar, he's not going to see if he can beat Shkia out of the bridge. And what about me? So I'm praying in the back seat. Amida, and he's got Allahu Akbar in the front. You know, I think Abraham Avinu would have been proud that his children were praying together in the back of a cab. Okay, so this idea that we have to be, we have to be proud. Why are, they, why are they prouder than us? You see people all the time spreading a roll out. They're unrolling a mat in the middle of the street. The guy's delivering Amazon packages. With his Amazon package, he's like a flipping Robin Hood. He doesn't pull out a bow and arrow. He pulls out a mat and he gets down on his hands and knees in the middle of the street. Well, not in the middle, on the side of the street. Okay, but that's it. They're going to pray. Rabbi nothing should stop us. Nothing. 
from giving our best effort, we should never be embarrassed. I think that's what the Greeks were trying to do, to give you something so paltry, so insignificant that you'd be humiliated to be able, you know? Rabotai, that's our job, to shine, to do it as big and as bold and as loud and as proud as we can. And that Rabotai translates to the next generation when they see how excited we are, how proud we are about, about our Yahadut, then the result of lighting that candle in the right way is that we don't fall prey to the scheme, to the dream of the Greeks, which was l'shakecham toratecha. That's how you forget your Torah. When it's so small and so insignificant, you're embarrassed by it. Put your tefillin on, on the plane. No problem. Put your, you know, pray when you need to pray. Rabbi Sachs, alava shalom, coined it best. He said, non-Jews respect Jews who respect themselves. One more time. Non-Jews respect Jews who respect themselves. But so many people in seeking respect from non-Jews disrespect their own religion. They won't do the things that they're supposed to do. That's what Am Yisrael was set aside for, to be or lagoyim, not in your basement, not behind curtains, out facing the street. HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed us in our uh, place in the city. We have a big bay window. Stick the menorah in there. It's like Hashem prepared it for my menorah before I even moved in. In 1899 when they built the place, some guy had an idea. He's like, I don't know, why don't we put out a bay window right above the street? Okay, so people should be able to see, you know. They didn't know what they were going to show off, but now it proudly shows off my menorah, my Yitzchak's menorah, my Rivka's menorah in her little Hanukkah frying pan, right? Hashem should bless us always to be able to have a proud association with our mitzvot, even out in public. And through that process, Rabotai, to be able to transmit it to generation upon generation of Dorot, Yisharim Vorach, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen v'Amen.